So last week we left off, Peter preached a sermon, and the primary focus of the sermon was the gospel. 3,000 people trusted in Jesus on that first day of the church, and then we see believers daily came together to worship. They were studying the scriptures, they were giving, they were praying, they were observing communion, they were helping one another, and the scriptures tell us the Lord added to their number daily. So what happens now is we pick up, which seems to be a few days later, maybe up to even two weeks later, Peter and John were basically uh, called on to perform a miraculous healing, and Peter preaches another sermon, and basically what's going to happen is the sermon is going to kind of explain exactly why Peter healed this guy, or Peter and John healed this guy. So we're going to start right off with Acts chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. So basically what was happening here is the early Christians were still observing some of the Jewish worship traditions and practices. So they were heading to the temple to worship. It was about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. In front of the temple, a lame man, uh, meaning he, was, he couldn't walk, he was in front of the temple. His friends would carry him and put him in front of the gate to beg as the, the Jewish people were coming in and out to worship. Now, this was pretty smart of a beggar, right? I mean, if you're going to beg somewhere, you're going to sit outside where the religious people are, right? Because the religious people, you know, they couldn't resist. They were either going to worship God or coming back from worshiping God. And they see this guy on the side of, you know, at the gate of the temple. So, you know, it kind of either tugged on their heartstrings or maybe made them feel a little guilty. So the practice of this man was to be carried there on, uh, during times of worship so he can make some money, so he could eat, because he couldn't physically work. So then we move on. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, this was the desired response of the beggar. Eye contact, right? Eye contact. This is what the beggar wanted. They were walking in. He wanted them to make eye contact. Have you ever been to a city? Some of you have been to a city, right? You're walking down, and if you see up ahead a homeless person, right? If you, see, if you have no intention on helping that person, what do you do? You walk right past, you know? You're not making eye contact, because if you make eye contact, all of a sudden, now this is personal. Now I'm checking my pockets. Now I'm seeing if I have some food to give this person. You know, but if you want to avoid it, you don't make eye contact. So this beggar got what he wanted. He got some eye contact from Peter and John. Now Peter and John actually wanted to make eye contact with him because they had something for this man. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So this beggar looked up. He was expecting money. He was expecting money. Peter says, hey, we don't have any money, but what I have is something way 
more valuable. What I have is something way more valuable, and it's going to be healing through Jesus Christ. Now think about this for a second, just a brief pause. In life, sometimes we face things that money can't fix, right? Sometimes we face things that money can't fix. Physical health can be one of those things. So this guy was like, I need money. And Peter and John were like, you need something way more than money. You actually need Jesus. So this miracle is actually something to bring perspective, that Jesus can do for us what the world could never do, and that is actually deliver us from our spiritual sickness. Hey, we're going to see a physical healing here, but basically what this points to is being delivered from spiritual sickness. So this miracle was performed, it's not only to heal this man, but it was also to bring attention to what Jesus can do for each person. What Jesus can do for each person. So here's what happens. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So this guy who hasn't walked, they reach out their hand, pull him up, his legs and his feet and everything, regain strength that it never had, that they never had. And basically, this guy is walking and leaping and praising God. Remember that uh, movie, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory? Remember when, uh, what was it, Charlie came home and all his grandparents, for some reason, were in bed? Remember that? And, and Grandpa Joe got invited to come with, and Grandpa Joe is in bed for 20 years. What, do you, what does he do? He jumps up and he like clicks his heels and runs around. That's what kind of I think of here. So this guy, and granted, he was just getting like a golden ticket to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. So this guy, you know, he was physically healed. So his response is praising God. His, his response is he's praising God. He's giving God the glory. Now, let's deal with what happens next. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So the people's response was amazement. Amazement. Here's this guy that we know couldn't walk. Couldn't walk. And now here he is. And this guy was there for years. So, you know, I'm sure there was probably some very critical and skeptical people in the crew that were like, well, has this been like this this like, you know, great farce and, and this guy's been making money and acting like he couldn't walk. But most people, I think the crowd's amazement realized that this, they knew this guy was, was physically handicapped, could not walk. So while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? <laughs> or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So here's what happens. The miracle gets everyone's attention. This is where Peter steps up, takes the attention off himself and off John and points to Jesus, the one who really truly healed this man. So notice this. Peter, he says, this isn't us. Okay, This isn't us. 
This is Jesus. So right now I want to deal with something, though. I want to deal with the issue of healing. Because the question always comes up, right? Does God still heal people today? Does God still heal people today? And I would say, of course he heals people today. That's why we pray and we ask him to heal people when we know they're sick. But does he heal like this? Well, let me first tell you this. God blesses people with minds and abilities to do research and discover cures and treatments for people when they are sick or dealing with health, health issues. So God gives us, right, minds and abilities to do research to find cures for diseases and different things. We have to remember to give God glory even when unbelieving people discover cures and treatments for illnesses and diseases. God's hand is at work, and since he's ultimately in control, we know that all good things come from him. So if you know someone that was healed by modern medicine, your response should be, praise God, right? Because that modern medicine actually came from God. And some people might say, oh no, it was man-made. No, it's not man-made. God gave us the resources and the abilities and the minds to actually come up with these cures and ways to heal things. But does God heal the way that we see in this passage? I mean, this is a miraculous healing. A guy's not walking, and Peter walks up to him, grabs his hand, and says, come on, you're going to get up and walk. A believer going up to someone, touching them, and saying, in the name of Jesus, you are healed. Well, of course God can do that, right? There's nothing out of the parameters of God, right? Of course God can do that, but I'm not sure that he does it that way now. So as I've been saying during this study, the New Testament was not written yet, right? So, you know, Peter and John couldn't go to like Ephesians 2 or Philippians. Like it wasn't written yet. They were actually living it out. This was a special time where the apostles, through the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, were doing miraculous things. And we're going to see more and more of this as we study through Acts, because they're living out the New Testament. So these are things were to point people to Jesus and the salvation that he offers. So when people witnessed these things, what was normally the response? Amazement, right? Amazement. This is unbelievable. This is, I wouldn't believe it, but I just saw it, so now I have to believe it. It, it. It's capturing our attention. See, now not all Christians agree that this was for the apostolic time. Now, in the New Testament, it was written, and, and people will quote this often. In John 14, 12, Jesus says to the apostles, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So they'll say, see, Jesus said in his own words that we're going to do greater things. So what do we do with this? Because you may maybe have dealt with other Christians that talked about this. So first we have to understand, Jesus was speaking directly to his disciples, and we can't take this passage as a universal truth to be applied to everyone at all times. It was a specific promise for the apostles. Remember, Jesus said in that thing, because I am going to the Father. Where are we in the course of church history in Acts? Where did Jesus just go? 
He just ascended into heaven. Second, the greater things to which Jesus referred to in this verse is actually the work of salvation. Since he was speaking about things related to salvation in the preceding verses, one of the things that you have to understand as a Christian is you can't just pick verses out and build theology on verses without looking at the context of it, okay? One of the things that you're going to learn through an Acts, and I've learned as I've studied, is you need to look at the Bible as a whole collective work. Do you have any other book in your life where you just take a few sentences out of it and say, okay, this is what I believe now on these few sentences? No, you take the collective work and look at it. So the reason he said the disciples would do greater works is that he was going to the Father. That is, after he ascended back into heaven, the apostles would perform greater works. The rest of the New Testament reveals the apostles did uh, perform signs and wonders and miracles. God the Father used them to save many people from, guess what? The, their greatest need. Their greatest need, which is salvation which is saving them from eternal separation from God. The apostles did see many people become Christians due to the miraculous signs that God blessed them and called them to do at that time. And the greatest thing that happened to those people is when they trusted in Jesus, they moved from death to life. So what about Christians today? or churches today advertise, come, we'll lay hands on you and heal you. What do we do with that? What do you do with that? When you turn on the TV and you see something like that, or you hear something like that, well, I just want to warn you. There can be real problems that arise when people pluck a verse like this out and start saying, Jesus said we're going to do better things or greater things. The first problem is they start to believe or think, I am the healer. Come to me. I am the healer. It's all about me. Notice what Peter did. Notice what Peter did. He just threw the attention right to Christ. He threw the attention right to Christ. So Peter rebuked the mindset that it's about the person doing the work. The next problem is it plays into spiritual abuse. And I've heard this, and this is very sad, and people in our church have come to me and talked to me about this because they've went places where they had a loved one. And when you have a loved one that's sick, you know that you will do anything to make sure that loved one gets better. So somebody comes up to them and says, oh, come to my church and we're going to lay hands on them and they're going to be healed of this. I've had people say to me, someone said to me, my, the cancer was taken out of my loved one by a person at this church. The person looked at them and said, you don't have cancer anymore. And guess what? The person died of cancer. The person died of cancer. So this plays into spiritual abuse. And here's how they'll respond when you're not healed. Here's what they'll say. And this is the spiritual abuse. And this is very disturbing. They'll say, you didn't have enough faith. And that's why you were not healed. They may even say to someone like me, even teaching something like this, oh, you don't believe, that's why you don't see healing like that. Listen, my response is always this. I see healing all the time. People in our church have been healed all the time. It just didn't happen in the way that this happened, where the man was grabbed and said, okay, you're going to walk right now. 
But the final problem is this, and this is something we really need to think about. The final problem is ignoring that physical death is actually what frees us from this sinful world. Okay, think about this for a second. Sometimes we get so hung up on physical healing that we forget that eternity is not spent here. Like, I'll be the first to tell you, I love my life. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love what I do. Like, I love, like, everything about my life I love. But it's nothing. It pales in comparison to what my eternity is going to be like. So if we get so hung up on the physical, the here and now, it actually distracts us from eternity. When we or someone we know are healed, sometimes people get physically healed and they give no glory to God. Okay, do you remember that one account? The 10 that were healed? Do you remember that? 10 lepers were healed. Does anybody remember how many came back and said, thanks to Jesus? One. Good. One came back. Jesus is like, where's the other nine? You know how many times you and I have prayed, please God, please God, please God, please God, please God, and it happens, and then we're like, yep, that's what I expect. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, we don't even praise God after the healing. It can distract us from eternity when there's no healing, right? So there could be healing and it will distract us from eternity. And it can distract us from eternity when there's no healing because it puts people in a situation in which they doubt God because someone they love was not healed. Like, let me ask you this. Where does the physical healing end? Where does it end? The physical healing, where does it end? A headline came across my feed. It said this, The cause of Queen Elizabeth's death revealed. Do you know why I didn't click on it? She was 96. (laughs) Like, I'm not clicking on that. I'm not wasting the 30 seconds because the cause was she was 96. Something was going on, but she was 96. Where does it end? Where does the physical healing end? Not to be callous about death, but you guys know this. 10 out of 10 die, right? Ten out of, so let's not get distracted by the physical healing. So why did God heal like this at this time? I don't think we can limit it to one reason, but here is how we can understand God is working in this way at this time. Peter uses this. Here's what he does, because he's going to bust into another sermon. He uses this as an illustration to hook people in, the people in, to preach the gospel again. The miracle grabs everyone's attention. And you will notice in Peter's message, he will not include... By the way, you can be physically healed too. Doesn't say that at all, okay? He preaches how they're going to be spiritually healed. He preaches how they're going to be spiritually healed. So let's look on. He says, the God of Abraham, this is Peter's sermon now, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So Peter starts with the history and traditions they know from the scriptures. He connects Jesus with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he singles out that he was delivered over to Pilate. He says, but you 
denied the Holy Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So it's customary for Pilate, right, to release one prisoner. Do you want this guy, Barabbas, or do you want Jesus to be, deli- to be released? And they picked the murderer, Barabbas, right? So if that was not bad enough, you it, delivering up, if that was not bad enough, you even decided to actually let go of a criminal rather than Jesus. And then it says, um, ask, ask for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Then Peter gets to the heart of the gospel message, right? Jesus was crucified, rose from the grave, and we saw the risen Jesus. I talked about this last week. It's a group of people. They saw the risen Jesus. Okay? This is like first-hand account, people that saw Jesus. He calls Jesus the author of life. Some of you may remember John, who was with Peter, would later write in his gospel that Jesus was in the world, right? But the world was made through him. And Peter does something interesting here. He talks about the faith of the man that was healed. Check this out. In his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. So obviously at this point, we could speculate there was probably a little bit more going on than him just grabbing him and having him walk. There was probably a conversation with this man, so we could speculate that the man that was healed trusted in Jesus for salvation, because next, Peter goes into the response to Jesus each one of us should have in order to be saved. And he says this, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Now, Peter said to the crowd, Hey, you guys acted in ignorance, and your ignorance actually fulfilled what the prophets foretold what would happen to Jesus they would be delivered up and crucified. But notice this, he doesn't let them off the hook. He doesn't let them off the hook. Peter never says, well, you know, you guys acted in ignorance, but the Father's cool with it. You didn't know any better. He doesn't say that, right? He doesn't say that. This is what he says. He says, repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Remember last week we talked about repentance. Change your mind about who Jesus is so their sins are blotted out. The reason Peter didn't say, well, the Father's cool with it, you didn't know any better, was because Jesus, delivering, delivering up Jesus wasn't their only sin. Okay? The, only sin the, the only sin they were, were guilty of wasn't just delivering Jesus up. They actually were lost. The fact that they delivered Jesus up showed how lost they were. They have plenty of other sins that they needed to be saved from. You get that? So even though this one was, they were ignorant to what they were doing, he's like, you still need to be saved because you got plenty of other sins. People in our culture will always pull this. They'll pull this, and I'm not going to name certain sins, but they'll say things like this. Oh, so you are saying that a person that chooses this or that lifestyle is going to hell? And my answer is, the Bible actually tells us that sin sends us to hell doesn't really matter which one it is. It's sin, right? Sin is sin. If you want to hang your hat on one particular sin, that's between you and the Lord. But you all, we all have plenty. 
Okay? There's no one sin that's sending anyone to hell. It's all of our sins that actually send us to hell. But by the grace of God, we have a Savior that was willing to lay down his life for every single one of our sins. So when we understand that, we have to come to the conclusion that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Not just trying to justify uh, like particular sins and say, well, that's not a sinner, this is not a sin. There's a whole list of them. So if we go through, we have to realize that we are all sinners. And guess what? God hates sin because it's an offense to him. So when we trust Jesus, our sins are forgiven. It says they're blotted out. They're forgiven. Then Peter tells them a few other things. He says, the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus. So the term time of refreshing can be one of two things here. First, it can simply mean when we trust in Jesus, our souls are refreshed, right? When we trust in Jesus, our souls are refreshed. The guilt and shame of our sin is lifted up, and personally, we experience salvation. Or the time of refreshing that Peter could be talking about is what Paul will eventually talk about in Romans 11, and that is in the end times, there's going to be a mass turning of Jewish people to Jesus, which may make a little more sense because this is what he says next. He says, the times of refreshing may come that the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed to you, for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Now, first he deals with the, so basically what he's saying is Peter's actually alluding to the fact that all things will be restored when Jesus comes back to his second coming. It's crazy layers in this sermon, right? So, you know, Peter's right here at this time, and then he's all, already looking forward to the fact that, that Christ will come back again. Now, Peter, again, again, when he's preaching, he uses scriptures, right? So he weaves in some Old Testament scriptures, and he says this, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So now he's quoting Deuteronomy 18, then eventually he's going to quote Genesis 22. First he deals with the Jewish people that reject the prophet's words that foretell about Jesus. They rejected the words of the prophets, and then when Jesus came, what did they do? They rejected him and his words as well. And it says, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and from those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. This was the scripture reading this morning, right? When God promised to Abraham in Genesis, right? every family of the earth would be blessed. He was talking about Christ, what Christ has done, how we all have salvation. He deals with how the promise of Abraham was for all nations. All nations would be blessed by his offspring. All nations will be blessed by trusting in Christ. He makes it plain and simple. The promise of God to Abraham is now being fulfilled right in front 
of your faces. All can be saved through trusting in him. So now Peter ends his sermon by challenging them. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So he challenges them. He challenges them. God the Father revealed his plan of salvation through his son Jesus. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Notice his sermon didn't focus around, check this out, you can be physically healed. Didn't, it didn't focus. He used that miracle as a hook and an illustration. You think this is something? <laughs> you can be spiritually healed through trusting in who Christ is. It's a message not only for them at that time, but guess what? It's a message for all of you. Hey, listen, if there's anybody here that hasn't been spiritually healed through trusting in Jesus, you need to trust in Jesus. If there's anybody here who's dealing with a physical illness, right? We pray that God physically heals you, but really what we're praying for is that you are spiritually made well. Because that's so much more important. The scriptures tell us this time on earth is just a mist. It's just a mist in comparison to our time in eternity. Will you spend that eternity with Christ?